Hello, everybody. This is Mike Flanagan. On this episode of the Inside Bowling Show, we welcome two of the greatest bowling coaches in the industry today, Mark Baker and Mike Jasnow. During the program, we discuss their professional bowling days as well as get into their coaching business and philosophies. This show, if you found it by now, is broadcast live on Facebook and YouTube, and you should head over to those accounts by searching Inside Bowling to watch the program and check our schedule for future episodes. If you're enjoying our show, do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. It would mean a great deal to Matt and I if you did. If you really like what we're doing here, you can head over to InsideBowling.com and save 15% off with coupon code IBSHOW to help support the show. Elements from today's show were intended for both video and audio. We apologize if at some point in the show you can't quite follow along. This is a great reminder that all of our shows are archived on our YouTube channel. So here we are with episode number 34 with two of the greatest coaches in bowling, Mark Baker and Mike Jasnow. I'm Mike. Matt's here with you. Episode number 37 here on the Inside Bowling Show. We're happy you're with us today. Today, uh, we're kind of teasing the audience, I guess I would say, because we're going to have two great coaches on today, and many people can't go out and bowl and take what they learned today and apply it to the lane. So sorry about that, everybody, but uh, you can go ahead and listen to this one. You can you can visualize yourself going out and working on these things. You can make some notes, grab a notepad today. You might want to, and then uh, you can then archive this broadcast and it'll be on podcast form go to the bowling center instead of listening to music in your in your earphones you can you can do this you can listen to the show back so uh the good news is is if you are listening to the show today you're going to need to type in your email address in the comments so we can send you an invoice for today's coaching lesson and uh, you'll just make all the checks out to mike flanagan not matt farber not inside bowling just to me yeah and, not the coaches not the coaches either no not at all no i'm not going to share any of it at all but just right here and, uh, you know, this can be our, our largest generating uh, revenue show that we've had so far. So that's uh, that's kind of the plan for today. I needed some money. I went to Texas Roadhouse last night, emptied out my bank account. First time eating out, Matt, since uh, since February. And uh, here in Utah, uh, you're allowed to do so. Kind of a unique experience. Uh, no menus on the table. Uh, obviously, no peanuts uh, all over the place. And anytime I wanted, like, some sort of condiments or steak sauce or ketchup or anything, it had to come out in a souffle cup. Uh, but you know what? I mean, the place was clean, man. I mean, it was like wiped down everywhere. It was, it's kind of a nice, uh, dining experience. I had no kids behind me kicking my, uh, it's my always boot. a plus. Always a plus. Yeah. I mean, I love children in that. And, and look, I don't have kids or anything like that, but boy, I'll tell you what, this was a great experience at Texas Roadhouse. A little bit, a little bit long to get the salads out last night though. I, I, and that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Did you, did you feel safe throughout your dining experience, Mike? Yeah, it felt great. I mean, I felt really good at the dining experience. Yeah. Were you wearing a mask? Uh, no, not no, no. It's very difficult to eat uh, dinner uh, with a mask on. Well, I was, I was saying, is it like you, when you go in, do you have to wear masks throughout your time there, nope. except for when you're eating and dining? 
No, but I did go to Costco afterwards, and there you have to have a mask. Got it. Okay. Not yeah. a not at a dining establishment, just uh just at Costco. So no free samples at Costco either. How much money do you think they're saving? Not only is everybody flocking to Costco and Sands, but there's no free samples. I mean, well, maybe they're losing money because the free samples get people to buy stuff. Oh, see, look at you. See, that's why I have you on the show. Right, baby. They wouldn't do the free samples unless they're getting. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I'm the marketing guy, right? I'm fired. Or I'm are you? Or are I you? I don't think I am. I, I'm not. <laughs> hey, by the way, go buy this shirt. Not bowling sucks, right? <laughs> Save fifteen percent with coupon code IB Show. Hope everybody's doing good today. Uh, we see some comments coming in. Want to thank everybody for watching the show. We've got our typical, typical crew in here already. We got Jeremy and Vic and and Rick in there and. Uh, Rick uh, Rick Ramsey gave us a rave review I saw this morning on uh, on Facebook. He's like, I'm loving these bowling shows every day. So pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, all right, let's uh, let's head over to our daily poll question uh, brought to you by Bowler X. Let's take a look at yesterday's poll question, uh, which is which of the following is the best bowling video game? We had Rambo Ray on yesterday for a very interesting conversation. And wow, here we go. Uh, we bowling wins uh, at 40.8%. Ray's not going to be happy about that one. Uh, PBA Pro Bowling, the console game currently out right now on Xbox and PlayStation 4, 30.6%. Uh, so a lot of people playing the game. That's awesome. It is a cool game. Uh, Brunswick Pro Circuit Bowling coming in third at 24.5%. And man, my favorite game out of this list is the Silver Strike Bowling game that you could find in bars and restaurants and and arcades with the with the rollerball and had Randy Peterson doing the announcing comes in at only 4.1% a hidden game there maybe because you had to go somewhere to play the game instead of playing it at home is why it failed so miserably in this poll Matt I'm on a heater Mike all I know is I just schooled you with that sampling example and usually you're the one that's kind of giving suggestions here as to what the choices should be like and at the last second I was like hey Mike what about we bowling and as the last option I think it's a good one and we're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's throw it in. I'm not sure how it'll do. And Ray's one thing with bowling games was he wanted realistic pin action. And I got to say, I sent quite a few messengers in Wii Bowling. So I'm happy with the way that the poll turned out. You look like a Wii Bowler just in, in real life, Matt. The thing is, is that I, I develop all these goofy styles, right, that that just like should not work. But I somehow make them work. And you can throw backup balls and there are cheats and stuff to like knocking down the 100 pins. I think it's a blast. I think I think it's a lot of fun. My favorite yeah. part, though, is is when you throw the ball backwards and then all the people jump and they spin around and they go, wee. That's that's my favorite part. Yeah, I figured that'd probably be your favorite part, man. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to say by saying that. You're such a masculine fellow on this program, let me tell you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all right. So, uh, all right. What do you have for today's poll question is uh, the theme of the show is coaching. No, we don't have a poll question for today anymore, Mike. Oh, no. Okay. No. You're just going to just bail on me like that? Yeah, it's a masculine thing to do. Um, <laughs> today's poll question brought to you by Bowler X is how many pins do you think your average would increase after a lesson with Mark Baker or Mike Jasnow? First mm -hmm. option, 1 to 10. Second option, 11 to 20. Third option, more than 20. Or the fourth option, which really shouldn't even be on there, but we put it on there just because, is your average wouldn't change. And if you still like that fourth option... You're going to be banned from the inside bowling show because that's just not true. Yep. No, it's not true. Um, you know, uh, cool. All right. I would probably, you know, I'd probably pick one of the middle ones personally, but, uh, I've had a lesson with jazz now, never with bakes. Um, I don't know if I can handle a lesson with bakes, to be quite honest with you. Um, cause uh, I think he'd spit me out and, and throw me out the meat grinder. No, I'm just kidding. He works. He, 
you know, the funny thing about Baker, and we're going to get into this today, is he's worked with people from all different average categories, beginner bowlers to um, to the greatest bowlers in the world. And uh, Mike's done that too. Um, I just, I'm just looking forward to talking to these guys about their coaching business model and what they do because they are different. I mean, every every coach is different. Um, but it, it, uh, the two that we have on today are two of the greatest I've ever seen in the sport. I've been around it for a while. So yeah, I've Jeremy, Jer- Jeremy's coming in here, Mike. Sorry to interrupt. Not a Twitter fan, but 1120 if that counts. No, Jeremy, it doesn't count. You got to ship yourself over onto that Twitter platform, create this profile so you can so you can participate in this Twitter poll that we have every single day. It does not count, Jeremy. Okay. All Just right. felt like I should roast our good friend, Jeremy Witt, who's here every single day. Every day. Every day. Yeah, he supports the show. Okay. So, um, I guess, uh, I guess it's time to, to bring in our, uh, our guests today because, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to them. Uh, we really didn't do any show prep on this one, but, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about their bowling careers. A lot of people don't realize these guys did bowl on tour. Um, Bakes had more success than, than jazz, but, and jazz now doesn't really like to talk about his tour days because, um, you know, he didn't have the, the, uh, best arm swing ever in the world. It wasn't bad. He had, he had a good, good game, but he doesn't really like to talk about it because, you know, he likes to be a coach and that's what he is now. He, you know, it's not going the past, you know, he tried that for a while, but, uh, the man had game for sure. And Bakes definitely had game. And whenever he was on TV, you know, with his hair and everything, the blonde hair, you know, he was, oh, yeah. he was like he man on, on the tour, you know, but, uh, Anyway, just cool that these guys used to bowl, you know, so we do want to talk about that a little bit. We're also going to see how they're doing. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the business side of their coaching and then their philosophies a little bit. Um, So with no further ado, Matt, if you could uh, bring up our two guests today, Mark Baker and Mike Jasnow uh, joining us here on the show today. Bakes, Jazz, how you guys doing? Hey, guys, how's everything? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So uh, let's see. Let's uh, start with Bakes. Bakes, uh, tell us about your setup there. Uh, what's behind you? What, what do we have up on the wall? Those are pictures of my son, Gage, and he's, you know, six months, one year, two years, and then it goes around the front room into the hallway and until he's about, you know, he's 11 now. So that's kind of what I have on the wall back here. Yeah, you're in an interesting spot here at 11 years old. Uh, the shit's about to hit the fan now for you with Gage. <laughs> he's actually pretty easy. He's uh, He's a good kid. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't have a lot of my personality traits yet. So he's, he's much calmer than me. So he's much easier. Yeah. And I know, um, I, I know you've incorporated Gage a little bit, brought him out to the, to the bowling events and stuff is, uh, is Gage bowling at all? Is he taking up bowling? Yeah. Gage right before all this went down, about six months ago, he switched to two handed and, uh, he loves it. So he plays a lot of basketball. He likes to play golf. Uh, he's an animal expert on any kind of animal in the world, and but bowling is in there too. And he became a two-hander, and he really likes, you know, you can't put an emphasis enough about how much you can make it hook. Hooking yeah, it so- is cool. It Jake, always has been. As Mike likes to say, chicks dig the big wheel. That's yeah. right. So do 11-year-old little boys. <laughs> and how do you feel about him uh, bowling two-handed? Uh, are you happy that he's bowling two-handed? Oh, it's much more efficient. Two-handed is... Uh, if all things are equal, the two-handed guy will win every time. Okay. And that's been proven by the boy from Australia. All right. Wow. Bakes, okay. Have you tried two-handed, Bakes? Have I tried two-handed? No. I had back surgery in 91. I just soon not have another one. <laughs> I can do a one-step. I've done it with Gage. I've taken a one-step two-hander, and I throw an 11-pound ball. I can throw it pretty good. It's easy to get your hand in the right place. I'll give you that. That's true. Sure. I tried it for a little bit. I had to use a, a 12 pounder 
Um, it was the only way I could I could do it, and I still sucked. So it's it's not easy at all. Um, Bakes, you're in California still, right? Correct. Uh, how are things in California for you during the pandemic? Uh, I live in Orange County, which is about 40, 30 to 40 miles south of Los Angeles. So it's like, it's like living in a different world compared to L.A. L.A., they're still shut down pretty good. Orange County, we're starting to open up. We've gone out to dinner once. Uh, we go to the beach once a week. It's still completely different than normal, but it's getting closer. So I guess that's all I can say about it. It's, it's hard not working. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Okay, let's uh, let's transition over to Mike a little bit. Mike, you're you're in Utah. I'm in Utah. You're on the other side of the mountain. Uh, but, uh, the drone won't fly over to your house, though. I've tried it. I tried to do a little care package delivery. It just didn't work. Uh, uh, yeah, if we had a tunnel, we'd, we'd live really close. We really would. We really would. And uh, and you, you know, you've got it. You've got the the coaching set up there behind you. Who, who do you have on the wall behind you? And that looks really familiar to me. Yeah, this is actually the background I had um, at the National Bowling Stadium on Lane 81. Uh, the, the, in order, going from the, the left of the screen in a setup position, that's Ryan O'Pade, uh, Ryan Schaefer, Jeff Carter, obviously the great Pete Weber, the other great Jason Balmani, another great – I mean, look at all those greats up there. It's crazy. Um, Norm Duke and Timmy Mack. Yeah, Timmy Mack up front. Cool. Um, so how are things How are things in Utah for you? Obviously, I, I know what it's kind of like here, but what's it like for you on the other side of the mountain? Because where I live, and you've been over, you haven't been to my house, but you kind of know where I live. Um, it's kind of, people are spread out, you know, so it, and I walk, you know, I hike quite a bit up in the mountains. And lately, there's been way, way more people than I've ever seen on the same trails. And uh, I remember a couple of weeks ago, somebody walked by me and I was like, oh, you're social social distancing, huh? And I was like, yeah, that's where I live here. Uh, when are you going back home? <laughs> because there's way more people than I've ever seen. Usually on a hike, I don't see anybody. And now I see, you know, six, ten people, which isn't a lot, especially compared to like L.A. or something. Uh, but it, it's really quite different and, and kind of bizarre. Uh, I, I feel like I live kind of in a sheltered area compared to a lot of the rest of the world, though. Um, obviously we have some of the cases of, of COVID here, not, not drastic, but it's still pretty scary. You know, it's different going to the grocery store and all that kind of stuff. But luckily I live in a beautiful area, so I'm able to get out quite often. You do live in a beautiful area. You love to ski. You get, uh, how many no inches? Snow? How many inches of snow you get over there? This year we had about 175. So, you know, we've had up to like 230, 240 in a season. And that's awesome. I love it. It's more than I get on this side of the mountain. Um, Mike, Mike, you've been, you've, you've been, this is uh, very uh, different for you. You're normally on the road how many days a year? I'm usually away from home over seven months a year. You know, so this is actually, I've lived here in this house for 14 years. This is the first time I've ever seen spring here, so that's kind of cool. But this is also the longest period of time I've ever been home in 14 years. So that's it's nice, but it sucks because I'd rather be out working, um, especially when I work the national tournament. It's a grind. It, but you kind of psych yourself up for it. So I was all raring to go, and, and then it got kind of postponed. And, yeah, everything's kind of on hold, and it's, it's, it just sucks not working. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Hey guys, I want to transition here to a little bit about your bowling. You know, I think a lot of people forget to talk about this. 
you guys were both on a tour. Uh, you guys both, both, both competitively, uh, it's where you cut your teeth and, and obviously now you've graduated into coaching and, and just tell me bakes, uh, a little bit about your, your time on tour, what you remember from it, what you like the most, and then maybe tell us a little bit about, uh, how that's, uh, helped you with your coaching career. Uh, I bowled on tour for nine years. I had a, uh, I had some success. I did okay. You know, I won four times, which, you know, before you started, four would have been a good number. When you get done, you're always disappointed you didn't win more. Uh, I had, you know, I had a good run. I was pretty consistent. I was always in the top, uh, I was always in the top uh, 20, 25 money winners, three years old in the top 10. So tour was good. And then I had back surgery, and uh, I think that was the U.S. Open in uh, Atlantic City. Yep. Pete ran the tables. But, uh, yeah, you know, tour was fine. Good hair. I wish I was that thin. That's for sure. But uh, that was a good term. We had a packed house. We had all the uh, NC2A basketball coaches in the – I've got a poster of that in my bedroom with a few memorabilia I have myself bowling and Gene Keedy and uh, a couple other, you know, John Thompson. They're all in the background picture. It's kind of cool, all these NC2A coaches from basketball. But that was a good week. It was a better week for Pete. I remember that. He ran us over. Hey, Bates, that was a good that week. Sure. That was Atlantic City, right? Yep. Hey, do you know I actually led that tournament? Do you know who what? You know, I actually led that tournament. For, for how many game. rounds? One, one game? game? I shot 300 the first game. That, that For U.S. Open, I remember they weren't very hard. But <laughs> and I was that actually, was uh, – I had the best round of my career that week. I shot uh, – uh, it was a pretty good story. I had the first, you know, I'm trying to, uh, we're, the, it was the first, second year we bowled for all the money, where it was 100000 on top. So that was a whole different tournament where the last check was 4000 and you just wanted to get a check or the last final spot was 4G. So it was a big money tournament. And I was like the cash with eight games to go. And I remember I crossed Gary Dickinson, probably the best guy to bowl with. And uh, I just got in my own little world and I started bowling pretty good and uh, bowling the eighth game of that round. And uh, Harry Golden came down and was like, hey, you have a chance to break the all-time eight-game record, which I didn't know what it was. It was Billy Hardwick was 560 over for eight. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And Gary Dickinson to this day said, Goose, just leave him alone. He doesn't know what he's doing. Leave him alone. And I had spare three-bagger last game. I didn't know what I was doing. So Gary, Goose is looking at my recap, and he goes, no, you really have a chance for the record. All you need is 270 last game. And I go, well, how many pins have I knocked down so far? And Dickinson's line was, well, you got the hard 490 out of the way. So for the first seven games, I was 490 over. And then I just went spare three-bagger. Goose told me that. Next shot, solid eight. Two or four clean the last game. <laughs> so I shot 490-something over that round. But that was – then I made the show, and like I said, Pete ran us all over. Your week ended up way better than mine. I did not Yeah, have. That was a good week. Uh, those, those checks – I like that U.S. Open format when Seager sponsored. I finished like ninth in Tacoma. Finished fourth in Atlantic City, and I finished seventh the next year in uh, Oklahoma. So when you made the prize fund big enough, I could actually concentrate for all the games. <laughs> Matt, you know what I find interesting here is is Bakes says that he had an okay career and he won four times. And we just yeah. did our fantasy Masters League draft the other night, and we talked about how only 360 people have ever won on the national tour. And I haven't done the stats ahead of time into the show, but that the list of people that have won once – is the longest list that there is Two, obviously is the shortest list to win four more titles. Uh, that list has got to be pretty rare. I mean, you're in rare company there, Bakes. I wouldn't discount your, your, your tour career at all. Well, I probably need to hang out with guys that don't have so many titles. 
probably the three people I talk to the most are Barnes, Houston, and Barry Asher. So I'm always the fourth wheel in my group. So I always feel like, you know, I'm barely on the team. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. But, uh, I mean, you were a hell of a bowler, man. And I remember appreciate watching, that. I remember watching you and I don't think we should, we should discount that at all. Now, Mike, your, your, your tour, your tour days, how long were you out there for? You weren't out for as long. No, you know, I had a, I went out on tour right out of college and had really not much success. And looking back, I wasn't ready to go out on tour yet. I just wanted to, so I did. But competitive wise, I wasn't there yet. Um, but then I had a, right after I won, actually, I had uh, started having a wrist problems. So I ended up having wrist surgery. So I was off for a year and a half. So I think I only bowled about 150 total tournaments. So I only bowled about six years total. And some of you don't know, especially Matt, you might know because you weren't born yet. Uh, but based on actually bowling each other on television. Yep. Oh, I didn't know you were going to have that clip, actually. <laughs> well, this well, this is this is a different one here. This oh, that's is, a different uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is you versus Pete. I just I found the the first clips I found were you and uh, you and Pete, both of you guys bowling against Pete. So I thought that that was in yeah. interesting. We had Pete on the show not too long ago. Um, but man, I'm 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 loving the hairstyles from both of you back in the day. You've got the stash <laughs> going. I'm loving. I'm. Loving it was it. definitely a different time. Had that good porn stash going right there. <laughs> I'll leave I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when, when when you bowled, you kicked my ass. But uh, it was my first show. It was Kansas City. Kansas City, yeah. Was that your first title? That was my second. I had one in 84, and then I had made a bunch of shows. I had a bunch of seconds. And then, I, you know, the first three games, I run the – I shoot like 770, and the scores were low. You guys, yeah. you're the only one that actually bowled – I mean, McDowell bowled bad, Houston bowled bad. You bowled a pretty good game. I think I shot 260 at you. Then I got Walter, and he's trying to hook a blue dot. He's yeah. got nothing, and I got – I've got a good shot. I turned that into an ugly match, and I got lucky, and Walter uh, didn't close the deal in the 10th, and I, I yeah. stole my second title. Uh, well, you're but I parlayed that into a second place finish about four weeks later in the tournament champion. So it was a uh, about a forty thousand dollar eight ten he left in the tenth. Ah, yeah, yeah. That hey, base what ball did you use on this show there? Do you remember? Black U dot. Ah, I pretty much every show except for the, the up through eighty. I started out through eighty four. All the shows were angles, and then uh, black angles, and I went to black U dots, occasional wine U dot. I think I made one show with the GTB. But I threw a lot of a lot of black. Uh, there you go. My knee bent that far now. It never. I would never straighten out again. <laughs> so that was uh, that was a good day. I bowled pretty good until the last couple frames. You know, it's funny because I couldn't remember the score of that match that we bowled. So I actually looked it up in the press guide this morning. I shot two forty four, and you shot two sixty six. So yeah. Looking back, you know, I was kind of happy with two forty four, my very first show, but. I don't care if you if you bowl a good game or not. If you lose, it just sucks. Yeah, you would have won every other game besides mine. You would have you'd have won every game. So they were right. they were a little funky, and I had a, I had something nobody else had, and then I had Walter beat, and I let him off the hook, and then Walter let me win again. But that was yeah for winning a title. It's still I'm I'm not very excited about it. the way I won was not you know they're not going to have a last dance episode about how I won that title. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So good, good trip down memory lane here. You know, we've established that you guys both bowled on tour. You guys got to live that life. You know what that's all about. And um, you guys in the coaching side of things, and that's what I want to transition over to now, the, the meat and potatoes of our show today. 
Uh, we'll we'll start we'll start with you, Mike Jazz. Now, um, how did you start getting into coaching, and and, and how has that evolved uh, for you over the years? Well, uh, when I was bowling on tour, I was giving some lessons when I was home, but nothing really intensive, just kind of here and there. And then actually, and I don't know if you remember Bakes, but uh, what year was it? 1993, um, at a tour stop in Tucson, Arizona, I was hit by a drunk driver. I was on my way to the airport to pick up my roommate and hit by a drunk driver and got hurt pretty badly. Um, and at the time, I thought, eh, okay, I'll take a few weeks off. I'm kind of sore and beat up a little bit, and I'll come back. And I remember like a month later, I tried to throw a ball, and I physically couldn't even throw a ball. My neck was so bad. And uh, never bowled another tournament after that. You know, So oh, that was wow. tough. Um, but it's hard enough to compete against those guys on tour when you're healthy. And when you have an injury, realistically, you don't have a chance. You know, so I kind of figured that out and got more into coaching, was lucky to have some connections uh, with somebody that was paddling maybe one of the stadium at the time, which was back in 1998, uh, and then started there, working there, and just it kind of evolved into something bigger and bigger and bigger, and, you know, ended up being there for over 20 years, and just love it, you know, but uh, that's kind of how it all started, kind of fell into it, went a different direction, always had a passion for bowling, so I wanted to stay in it at kind of a higher level. And luckily, I've been able to. Yeah, and and recently, I just I just learned with the renovations there at the at the stadium that your famous lane eighty one, and it's not your lane, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it belongs yeah. to the stadium. Uh, yeah. It's there in the pro shop area, but you've been housed there every time that the tournament goes back to Reno Women's and Men's yeah. Championships. And your lane is now gone. How crushed are you that your lane is gone? Um, that's, to be honest, that was pretty devastating because I put my heart and soul into that and built something that I really loved and I thought was pretty successful and helped lots and lots of people. It was awesome having the tour there at the stadium and having the touring guys come over and get all their stats and having little competitions and stuff. So that's, that's kind of a big blow. And it's just... For me, it's extremely disappointing that um, the powers that be, whether it be the city of Reno or the National Bowling State people or USBC, who's, who has a lot of interest there, um, nobody really struck up for coaching and fought to, to keep coaching at our National Bowling State, which is super disappointing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it was. I'm sure there was a, a, a good reason behind it. Uh, I certainly hope so. Um, but but the good news is, coming out of this, is, is that you still find a way. You find a way to go to the national tournaments, find a spot, and, and, and coach people. Obviously, with the pandemic, you're not able to do that right now. Right. But you're still planning on helping folks when where, where they go to, right? When there's large droves of bowlers that need help, you go to those locations, right? Yeah, hopefully I'll be able to continue doing that. I do have plans. Uh, even though I'm not at the, at the stadium, I made arrangements with Coconut Bowl and Sparks, which, by the way, was a 2019 FEC of the year. So super excited to have a great venue. Going to have a Specto system, so it's going to be awesome. And I'll be set up there for throughout the national tournament, uh, September 12th through November 21st. So if you're heading out there to Bowl Nationals, please come over and see me and take a lesson, and we'll see how much your average improves if your guess was correct in the poll. Yeah, and Mike, you 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 do this, if I remember correctly, um, my memory is foggy, but I believe you, you do lessons Monday through Saturday, and it's like from like 10 in the morning until 9 at night or something crazy like that at the peak of the tournament. 
Yeah, especially like there on site of the stadium, it was kind of crazy. Usually nationals would run 18, 19 weeks, and most years I would take three to four days off in 18 or 19 weeks. And usually from mid-April through mid-June, I would just work every day. I'd work about two months without a day off. So kind of just ridiculous, crazy schedule. I, looking back, I don't know how the hell I even did that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely a sprint walk type of uh, business model there where you're sprinting yeah. and then, then you go home and relax. And and let's let's flip it over to Bakes now because he, he's got a, he, he's another successful coach. And uh, I think Mark's got a little bit of a different different way that he does it. So so Mark, uh, can you elaborate a little bit on on how you found coaching and and your and what you do for coaching? Uh, I, Mike, I did not know about that car accident by 93. I had, uh, I had surgery, my back surgery, 91, and I was done. Like you said, I had an injury and you can't compete with those guys when you're not 100%. So I was away from bowling quite a bit. Uh, coaching was kind of a, I never had any aspirations to be a coach. I, when I bowled on tour, I knew very little about the physical game. I knew how to make myself work. I was pretty athletic. I was real athletic and very, I was very competitive. So I was a good bowler, be, not knowing what I did. I mean, David Ozio or Steve Wunderlich or Jeff Bellinger were the guys that helped me a little bit. I'm like, and they would try to tell me what I was good at, and I had no idea what they were talking about. So for me to become a coach was, you know, as Steve Wunderlich put, of all the guys on tour in our era that became a coach, you would be the last pick. So I knew nothing about it. And then uh, I did other things. I got in the mortgage business. I did that for quite a while. And people just kept asking for lessons. And I would go give a lesson and think how simple it was. They would get better. And I'm like, why don't you guys know all this stuff? Then I realized that the people on tour knew a lot more than everybody else. So I had listened really well. I just didn't know much about it. And then I just kind of, it just kind of sprang from there. I tried it in the late nineties. I didn't do very good at it. I got myself in a different situation personally. And then uh, I did, I had some other jobs with track and I worked with Cal Bowling Supply. But the, go the coaching became more and more prevalent in what I like to do. And then one day my wife and I decided that every day I coached, I came home and get a good mood. It was time to pull the trigger, and I've been coaching full time for about eleven years. Every day you coached, you came home in a good mood. Boy, that's that's a statement there. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I would get in the car and I would call her like on a Sunday or a Friday, and like you're not going to believe it. I just gave seven lessons. It was the best day ever. And she kept saying, "Every time you coach, you say that." And then I'd go to my real job, you know, Monday through Thursday, and that wasn't that result wasn't the same. And finally, she said, "You need to do what you do. You you're a much better person when you're done coaching." So that was kind of what, you know, my son Gage had just been born. You know, I walked away from a pretty good deal to try this. And, uh, you know, it was right in the, what, the middle of the, the recession. <laughs> Not this recession, but that recession. And uh, it all worked out. I put together a pretty good business plan. And, and, and you know, here we are 11 years later, and it's, it's worked out really well. Yeah. Hey, it, hey, you said something kind of interesting, and I totally agree with that, is when I bowled on tour, I didn't know what I was doing either. I just kind of bowled. And I think at that time, a lot of people were in that same situation. There wasn't a lot of prevalent coaching going on on tour then. Nobody was doing video analysis back then. Of nope. course, they were so huge, you couldn't carry them probably. But when I bowled good, it was great. When I bowled bad, it sucked. But I didn't know why I bowled good and bad. And it sounds like you were kind of in that same boat. Right. I mean, the, the, I mean John Jowdy was the coach of the tour. Absolutely. I mean, he, and John was, John was a unique guy. I give John credit. He was the smartest coach ever. The way I look at it, John basically coached the top 30 guys. So John right. was the hitting coach for the American League and the National League All-Star team every year. So John won every week. I mean, John knew how to pick out talent. I'll give him that. So I mean, he, was, he was the only guy you could go to because he was out there every week, and he would give you all the time you wanted. 
And one thing about working with John Jowdy, you better be ready for the truth. John wasn't going to sugarcoat anything. That but I think all the tour players, we, we were all we were all pretty secure how good we were and weren't were. So when you were bowling bad, you knew it was you. It was never I didn't match up. It was never the balls were wrong. You know, the, the guys today just have better excuses than we did. We had three yeah. levels. I bowled good. I bowled okay. I bowled terrible. And that was it. And if you bowled terrible, you just practiced. We didn't know. There was no going to the stadium and seeing Mike when the tour comes to Reno. Yeah. You go work with Jazz now for two hours. You just went and practiced for two, three days. And then hopefully yeah. the shot, you know, you saw something you liked and you bowl better. That's the only way I do how to get out of a slump, which is to bowl more. We just bowled. We bowled a ton, I think, compared and to now. How, how many more titles do you think we would have won if we had somebody like us to go to back then? I know I would have won way more because I now know why I sucked on tour. I didn't know that. Yep. I wish I'd have had, you know, you're getting, you know, you work with him a little bit and I've had a chance to spend a lot of time with Chris Barnes. Him understanding how lanes change per day. I never thought about, you know, Walter A. Friday. When we were on tour, Walter bombed him on Friday. I'd always want to move in farther left, and Walter would move farther right. Well, I just didn't want to – I just hated it, so I would never even try it. But Chris understood that. I knew nothing about bowling balls. You know, Wayne Webb, I thought, was always the smartest guy in our era about bowling balls. Wayne was the first guy to really put holes in different places and make those balls do tricks. I wish yeah. I knew more about equipment. I mean, I just basically drilled the same two balls over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but, I mean, it had been nice to when you, instead of getting in a slump, somebody could have fixed it. Absolutely. Right. I think video would have helped if you had good eyes, which obviously you and I have pretty good eyes. You could see yourself bowling well. And then somebody film it when you're bowling bad. We just like, oh, guy, why am I doing that instead of doing that? And then you kind of fix it your own way. And then I think we would have been, it would have eliminated some of the slumps or some of the bad stretches, those four or five weeks where you can't get out of your own way. And I think, you know, if you look back at some of your shows, I know, like, the first show I, I made with you, I look at that and I'm like, holy crap, I hope none of my students watch me bowl. But then as the show, the further shows went on the following years, I got a lot smoother, a lot better. I'm sure you see the same thing, like, your first show compared to, your, like, your later shows. Probably a big improvement with you also. Well, I think that this part applies to when we bowled and also now. When you go on tour, only two things will happen. You will get better or you will go home. There, that's, you either get better or you go home. There's no staying the same on tour. That's just, right. it's too, there isn't enough money on top to be a top 30 player and make a living. So you got to be a player. So you get better and you stay out there and you learn or you don't learn and you don't get better and you get chewed up and go home. Yeah. I can say with, without question, I'm a way better coach than I was a, a professional bowler. I sure go to the bank more often. <laughs> I like I like finishing third on a PBA 50 event every week. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, and Jazz Bakes, you both talked about what the journey has been like from when you guys were bowlers to now bowlers, and what they have and how good they may have it when it comes to coaching. What has the experience been like? I guess we'll start with Bakes, and then we'll go back to you, Jazz. And what what has that experience been like to watch how the youth has gotten so much better over the years um, throughout your coaching careers? That's flat out amazing that uh, the kids that are good now that are young are really, they're so much more knowledgeable. I mean, the greatest teacher in the world we're finding out right now is YouTube. I mean, you can live anywhere in the world and you can watch, if you're two handed, you can just watch videos over and over and over Belmonte. You can kind of figure it out. You know, our lane conditions. Now, if you, if you want to know what a Kegel pattern is or whatever the patterns are, if you go online, all the information is there. When we bowled, there was none of that. The only time you figured out how to bowl on tour was going on tour. 
because the conditions on tour were like no other place in the United States or the world. And even on tour, they wouldn't tell you what they were doing. So the kids today are much more knowledgeable. Talent-wise, good bowlers are good bowlers. I'm never going to downplay my, my generation or the guys. If Don Johnson was 15 and he taught him he all the information available to Don Johnson, he'd be the top five player in the world. Don John, you know, those guys were just good. So skill-wise, I don't know if they're better than us. They sure have a lot more knowledge and they know how to apply it. And they might be more focused than we were. Yeah, I played baseball and basketball through high school varsity stuff. I wasn't dedicated to bowling. I just soon throw, shoot jump shots, throw a bowling ball. As I got older, bowling became more prevalent. The guys today, the kids today are much more focused on bowling, I think. All right. Thanks, Biggs. And Jazz, what about you? Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, some of the young, like the stupid young players today are way better. And just like, like Biggs said, more knowledgeable, so they get better quicker. But I've seen like 11, 12-year-olds that are averaging 200. That never used to happen. Now, of course, the conditions are different, too, and balls are different. But that being said, there are some really super good kids. And, uh, you know, I think for me anyway, a big life life changer as far as bowling for me was uh, I lived back east. I lived in New York, and I started bowling JBTs and didn't even know what it was. I lived up kind of in upstate New York, so I always had to travel down to city or Jersey to bowl, and uh, it was great. Scratch competition against these other good bowlers, and I'd never been, except for like in my local little league, where there really wasn't a whole lot of competition. But those JBTs were awesome, and then bowling JBTs, I found out about college bowling. I was like, wow, they bowl in college and you can get some scholarships? So I actually went to Wichita State, had a great time there, one of the best experiences of my life. Um, and I think we see that a lot more today with the youth. They're going into, you know, YBTs, JBTs, all that kind of stuff. You have to do your goal. You have awesome college programs. So these bowlers are so much more accomplished and ready when they come out that you see some young bowlers having good success earlier, I think, because of all that stuff. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good question there, Matt, asking about the youth, and it transitions nicely into what I wanted to get into next, which is what type of players have you guys worked with, and in your coaching businesses, you know, what is what is the heart of who you work with, and I and I think I, I want to go back to Bakes on this one because about ten years ago now, I I think it was, I think I said fifteen, and Bakes corrected me uh, through text messaging before the show. I was at a seminar in St. Louis at the Grand Prix trade show. And, and at the time you were hooked up with Ebonite uh, International and you uh, you gave this seminar to uh, pro shops about your coaching business. And I got to tell you that day I was moved in the room. Hmm. See how you dedicated yourself and how you built a business model from scratch, from nothing to help people. And a couple of the highlights of that that I remember on that day is that you had a website and every time somebody bowled their highest game, you put it on the website, no matter the skill level. And I remember that skill level being all over the board. I remember it said something about like Betty R, uh, Boulder highest game of 135. And then the next line of text said Chris Barnes just won the Tournament of Champions or, or something like that. And they were just right next to each other. And that was so intriguing for me uh, that day. Could you give us the Cliff Notes version of your coaching business and that presentation that you did that day and talk about the folks that you've worked with? Yeah, uh, I wanted to become a full-time coach. And you have to, you know, economics is economics. So I had to find me a way to pay for taking care of my family. You know, I had a new son. My wife at that time had stopped working because Gage was born. And I live in Orange County, California, which isn't cheap. 
So, and I had tried a couple different ways to do it by just giving lessons. And I had failed every time. My camp had started to become pretty good then. So I had camps and I had lessons, but those weren't, it didn't get me to a broad enough group of people. I kept going to my dad who was a business, you know, he ran banks and was, you know, made business loans to people like me. And I kept giving him my business plan. He kept telling me how it was going to fail because I didn't have a feeder system. So then I hooked up with Barry Asher. We started doing this clinic every Saturday at Fountain Bowl, which we still do. We average 1,500 bowlers a year. It's $10 on Saturdays. It goes from 12.15 to 2 o'clock, and there's no qualification to show up. You can average 220, or you can show up with no ball, no shoes. So I started doing that every week with him. Then I put together a house pro lesson thing at Fountain Bowl, where if you bowl league at Fountain, every other Wednesday, I give lessons for $20 a half hour. My normal rate's $100 an hour. So my theory was people that average 100, 110, 120, they weren't going to commit to 100 an hour, but everybody has 20 bucks. So, but you had to bowl league at Fountain. So it helped them not lose. I made a presentation to the, the owners of Fountain, like you're losing all these new bowlers because nobody likes to shoot under 100. You get them in the door, it's kind of fun, but too many times I think in our sport, we think, we, we, we go by who has the highest average. When you put your balls on the rack, the person with the highest average is the, is the man. Well, I had somebody tell me, you know what you should do on every lesson? Walk out in the parking lot, see what kind of car they get in. So I started doing that. People that average 105 getting into Range Rovers don't like to average 105. They're super successful in everything else they do in life. They're not going to be bad at this. So I started marketing myself to that group. And then these people at 105 got to 150, and now they're bowling three leagues. So I was very into the economics of the whole thing. Who had the money? Not who was the best bowler. Because a lot of guys average 230, try centers over their mom's basement. They can't afford me. So I started focusing on a different group of bowlers. And then my business got better. And it made me a better coach. Well, like Mike and I, we, we, like I said, we didn't know what we were doing. Coaching a 220 bowler is kind of easy. You coach somebody 105, when their first shot goes in the left gutter, their second shot goes in the right gutter, and then the third shot hits the head pin. And we say, didn't that one feel better? And they give you that answer. They all feel the same. <laughs> then you can find out if you can coach or not. <laughs> so I just wanted to find a way to have a broader group of people to coach. My business is still 175 to 210. That's where I live. That's the 60, 70%. All my camp people kind of fit in there. But you have to be able to coach the people above, you know, the, the tour players. But the people that are one, you know, I don't see many 150 bowlers. And my reason of that is they bowl an occasional 200. They never shoot under 100 but they have no pressure because 150 is a good average. I see a lot of people between 100 and 120 and a lot of people between 170 and 215. And then, you know, the guys at the very top. So that's my three areas. I think I never thought I'd spend so much time at the 100 average lesson. And they're actually the nicest. They're the easiest to improve. Yeah. I remember that day when you gave that presentation and you know what, I, you know what that says to me is a lot of hard work. I mean, you, you put in a ton of work into developing that and trying to figure that out. And, you know, how many pro shops did you, did you, did you tell that presentation to, and did you hear any, anybody ever come back and say, Hey, I, I took your model, tweaked it a little bit. I'm doing it too. Did anybody ever do that? I think, uh, the one who's talked to me about the most is Daniel Puerto in St. Louis. Hmm. He's, he's adapted it to his, his people and he runs a pro shop, but I think his coaching, I think I gave him a different picture of what coaching could be. And, you know, people are always thinking, you know, four or 500 lessons, you know, Mike does a ton of the 700 lessons in a short period of time. I just picked a completely different number than everybody else. I wanted to work with, you know, 2,000 people a year. My theory was the only way you get better is to do it a lot. 
I never got good at bowling by practicing six hours a week. I didn't want to give lessons three hours a week. And you, you know, there's no, there's no book in the library about really successful people that said I did it part-time. So I thought, how am I going to get, so I'm working 40, 50 hours a week at all the levels of bowlers. So my eye gets better so I can become a better coach. I needed to broaden out what I did to make me better. I wanted to keep improving. I didn't want to get stale in what I did. And to this day, I still, it's still, I'm working on it. And uh, that website will be, I mean, on the pandemic time off, I have redone my website, getting ready to relaunch it. So I've gone back on my honor roll and I've listed everybody from 2009 through 2020 on my honor roll. That took about two weeks. So that's actually a good sign. But yeah, that website will be gone in about two weeks. So I had to do something on the pandemic besides gain weight. <laughs> so, so markbakerbowling.com is still the website. You can still go over there and, and look at the board. And you know, it's funny, man, uh, to stick with that ever since that day that I saw you and you're still doing it. And those, those lessons with Barry Asher on Saturday afternoons, I mean, you could take the weekends off Mark if you wanted to, yep. but you're in there every Saturday doing this. And I just think that that's one of the hidden gems in bowling, the work that you've done, man. Uh, you get all I the, appreciate that. Yeah, all the accolades you get for being a PBA league manager and being buddies <laughs> with all these guys, you know, that's great. You know, that that's the strobe light to bakes, right? But this year, I mean, when I heard about this and you're still doing it 10 years later, I think it was longer than that, but 10 years later, we'll just say for today, um, man, that is just an incredible, incredible accomplishment. I mean, it's unbelievable. Oh, wow. That's, that's very nice. Thank you, Mike. That's really cool. Now let's uh, let's go over to Jazz a little bit. Jazz, your your coaching uh, business is, is quite different than Bakes, but also very 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 successful. Uh, the sprint walk the sprint walk strategy, so to speak. Bakes is kind of jogging all the time over there. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know what what you're doing there. Well, you know, initially it was really about being at, on Lady One at the stadium because not only did we have nationals, we have lots of other tournaments there. You know, so that was kind of a, a, a perfect place where, where bowlers come in. Um, but base is absolutely right. You get better by doing more and more and more and more. You know, and I think I forget what book it was in, or, but if you do something 10,000 times, you're pretty good at it. You know, and, you know, um, I'm well past that. So hopefully I'm good at what I do. Base, I'm sure you're getting there too. But uh, I remember one of the days in Reno that was one of the most interesting days coaching wise. I had a guy come in, and usually in Reno, Mike, you've been there, where, you know, I'm doing one lesson, the next person comes in, I say, okay, fill this out, be right with you. And then I tell this guy, hey, go ahead and warm up. And he looks at me, he goes, I can't. I go, why not? He goes, I've never thrown a ball. And I was like, huh? You've never thrown a ball? He goes, no, my wife bowls, so I bought a ball and some shoes, and I thought before I screw things up, I'd get instructions. I was like, well, first of all, you're probably the smartest person I've ever met, because who thinks that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was so odd because like he didn't know how to stand, he didn't know how to. He knew nothing. And I remember uh, one of the shots he like threw it behind him, and he was all embarrassed. And I was like, I don't know anybody who's bowled that hasn't thrown it behind him before. You know, so no big deal. And then he was a lefty, and I remember as I got it on video. He threw like the perfect shot, four-step approach, perfect timing, perfect balance. Hooked the ball, came right in the pocket, ten the pace. He just looked at me like, "Did that just really happen?" And that was like within the hour. Now I don't know what happened after that lesson, but that was pretty cool. Now right after this lesson, and again, never bowled, knew nothing. I had John Handegard, <laughs> who bowled on tour for I don't know forty years, 
Hall of, every Hall of Fame there is. So that was back-to-back -back lessons, somebody who never bowled to, to one of the best Hall of Famers. And it was just kind of almost mind-blowing to have them back-to-back. -back. But it was awesome. I love that. You know, so just that variety, too, and just seeing different styles. You know, initially when I first started coaching, if I saw something really unusual and bizarre, I was like, oh, shit, I don't want to, like, what the hell am I going to do? And I would kind of be afraid of it. Now it's kind of like, oh, good, I get to work with this guy. <laughs> you know, so I think those lessons are kind of interesting because, you know, if you do the same thing every lesson, it can get kind of boring. So it's kind of get to switch it up with something very unusual. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I've done several clinics, which which I don't mind. I really like that one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, I think you can get people a lot further quicker if, with more one-on-one -on -one time than in a clinic. All, that being said, clinic, opportunity for, for great information. You get to work with different people. So any kind of coaching is awesome if you want to keep getting better. Now, there are some bowlers, and, and I think it falls in that 150 average range, like Mark was saying, where they're recreational bowlers. If they don't bowl well, they don't care. They're just having fun, which is absolutely fine. But if you're one of those bowlers where every time you bowl badly, you're all pissed off, why aren't you trying to get better? If you don't change anything, your results aren't going to change. And it is so easy to get another 10 or 20 pins on someone's average. Like, I don't think I've ever done an hour lesson where people have not improved in that one hour. And you think... <laughs> Over the course of time, one hour, and you have a chance to get better. I don't understand why people are, are kind of afraid almost. I think a lot of people, especially with, with some coaches like Mark and I who are, are a little bit more visible than some of the other coaches, I think people are afraid that we're just going to say, hey, you suck, you should take up tennis or something. And that's <laughs> really, really not what it's about at all. I think know? Bake said something like that to me. What's that? I think, I think Bake said something like that to me at Team USA camp one time. I think Bakes was like, yeah, Maddie." Uh, Tennis or golf, man. I'm not really sure if this if this one thing. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure that's ever happened. <laughs> yeah, you've ever told anyone they should quit because nobody should quit. Everybody can. I, I fired Barnes in the middle of a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> we bowled that one year. The tournament champions. It was the year that they bowled for the big money, two fifty, and Chris was like third after the first day, and they're bowling the last eight games of uh, qualifying, and he gets he goes like strike ring in ten. And he went, ring and 10 strike, ring and 10 strike. And then he has a breakdown. And uh, everybody around him, I mean, it was, it was no joke. All 20 lanes around him, everybody had a seven-bagger. So, of course, in Chris's mind, he's gone from third to 25th in five frames. So he comes back. He goes, I'm, I'm going to do this. I said, just stay in the same place and do it again. And like, he goes, if I stay in the same place, he will ring and 10, which he did, which he did. And he came back and said something to the stands. And I just said, you know, F you. Find somebody else to coach you. And I left. I just took off. So I went down there, and Linda's like, are you leaving? I'm like, yeah, it'll be fine. So like game four, he comes down. He goes, are you really mad at me? I went, no, I'm good. What would you bowl the last two games? 270, 260. You going to make the finals, Chris? I think I'm okay. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I, I mean, I just had enough. But that's, yeah. you know, that's part of teaching the high-level guys. I mean, a ringing 10 on the fourth frame, he's done. So, but other than that, I've never had, I've never had any of those issues that you talk about. Coaching's fun. Yeah. I think people are very afraid that you're going to change them too much because how do I say this politically correct? Because they get tips from people that don't know what they're doing. Absolutely. How's that for being, how's that for throwing it out there? And that, All because you own a three ball bag doesn't make you a coach. All yeah. because you have your name on your back on a shirt doesn't make you a coach. You're right. That being said, a lot of people offer very, you know, it's they're giving you tips on what works for them. Very rarely will it work for you. 
That's why coaching husband and wives are so fun. The husband usually throws the wife to you as, you know, he's throwing her out there for bait. You give her a lesson. What's the husband say? What did he tell you? What did he tell you? Well, you're 6'4", 240. She's 5'2", 110. Probably going to tell him different things. She averages 130. He averages 200. But, you know, that's kind of the fun of coaching. But your your job is to take whatever they have and just make it better, not to just tear everything apart. Correct. Exactly right. right. It's funny. I call that there's lots of bad free advice. Perfect. And, you know, people don't know it's bad advice. They just know it's free. (laughs) They learned that it wasn't good advice. I actually made a video last year with some of the pros. It was kind of funny. And I called it pros versus bad free advice. So I took some of the tips that people are given that I hear the crazy tips. And I had some of the pros try to do those tips. And it did not work out very well. (laughs) Well, I've done that with Chris. I've guinea pigged him. I've read some stuff online like, wow, that's kind of different. So Chris, and this is, you know, back when the tour stop was coming to Fountain, and he would show up and we'd work on it. I'd do this, this, and this. Chris being, you know, average, smarter than the average bear, we're like three shots into it, like, what in the world are we doing? I said, well, if I can't get you to do this, I'm pretty sure I can't get my amateurs to do it. So he would figure Absolutely. it out. He never let me go too far. He would figure it out in the third shot, like, okay, this is impossible. Well, if the best guy in the world says it's impossible, what's my 180 guy going to say? So I use Chris as a guinea pig quite often. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. <laughs> That's great. The tricky part of working with Tommy Jones, he could actually do it. All right, Tommy, you're going to you know, close your left eye and you're going to slide on your right foot today. Serious? Yeah, come on, Tommy, give it a shot. Give him three shots. Tommy Jones throw a double doing anything. <laughs> they look at me and shake his head like, all right, you think this is going to work? We'll try it. But Tommy, was, Tommy could pretty much do anything he wants. Wow, I, I love this comparison here between Tommy and Barnes. Um, don't don't want a little bit of shade here at Barney for his lack of athleticism and uh, probably lack of, of of youthfulness here. I've got I've got a couple of questions here for both of you, Jazz. I'll throw to you first. Walk us through what a lesson with Mike looks like and how you identify what you want each bowler that you uh, work with to work on. You know, it kind of depends on the bowler, but uh, obviously I take video first. I want to see what they normally do. Without trying to do something special, I want to see what they normally will do. And we kind of go from there. Uh, I'm sure Mark is the same. Within within seeing one or two shots, I kind of know, okay, what, what we're gonna what direction we're gonna go. And I'll I'll usually pick maybe two to three things that I want to point out. And that doesn't mean you're gonna be proficient at two to three things in the hour. And I'll I'll we'll really work on one. And I think what, what most people find out, if you correct one little thing or tweak one little thing to make it better, several other things will chain react and get better. And that really shows the cause and effect um, kind of relationship there. And uh, I think it's important to, for people to understand what they're changing and why. It's not just do this because I want you to do it. Because then if it feels weird, I'm not going to do this. This guy's a nut job. I'm not doing that. But if they understand why, and then they see the results on the lane, and that's really what it's about. It's not about looking different. It's about getting your ball to do what you want more consistently on the lane. But everything on the lane is a result of what you do in your approach. You know, so I try to get one or two physical things kind of down, and then you know, I give them enough to work on for probably at least a month or so. I've had people come and say, hey, I want another lesson tomorrow. And I kind of almost discourage that because – we're going to be doing the same damn thing. You know, I want to see something a little bit different and then we'll move on from there, you know, and that's kind of how I approach it. Um, and kind of my philosophy on coaching is I try to steer somebody in a certain direction, but in my opinion, it's always up to the bowler to put the work in and do the work 
to get there. So the bowler has the hard part. I think the coach has the easy part because we can point out a couple things, but it's really up to the bowler. And if they don't want to commit to it, that's fine. But then don't bitch if it's not if you're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, good point. I'm sure Bakes Bakes agrees with that. Putting in the work, Bakes. What's your methodology look like when it comes to giving lessons one on one? A lot of it. A lot of it mirrors what Mike said. Obviously, uh, Mike doesn't have kids. Because if the person that paid me 100 an hour on Saturday wants to fire it again on Sunday, I'm pretty much showing up for the lesson. So, if Mike, if you want to adopt a kid, you would change your business model. Believe me. But uh, my goal is to, you know, it's like what Mike says. I walk in. I think Mike, he might fill it out. I think the first five minutes, I really have a, uh, I really ask them a lot of questions. And I'm trying to figure out their bowling IQ. Because a lot of people can bowl really well physically. I've been bowling for six months. And they don't know any of the terms I'm going to use. Or somebody's 180, been bowling for 40 years, actually knows more about bowling than I do. So I spend a lot of time trying to figure out where they are on their bowling IQ. And then, you know, I try to film them like Mike says beginning. What I tend to do is let them warm up and like, hey, when you throw the one shot that you want to throw every time the rest of your life, tell me, I'll probably know it. So they turn around and throw that one shot. Once I see that, then videotaping and showing them why they're different is pretty easy. The videotape isn't for Mike and I. The videotape's for the bowlers. We can right. see the miss. So use the video is for us to be on the same page because some lessons start out adversarial. You're the coach and I'm the bowler and I'm trying to change you. You know, there's billions and billions of dollars sold and how to become a better person or lose weight. If you're trying to change, nobody likes to change. So our job is to get you to change even though you don't want to. I want to lose weight, but I don't want to change my diet and I don't want to exercise. I want to improve my average, but I don't want to change anything. So you got to get good at communication. Well, we're actually changing them quite a bit, and they don't know it. So it's, it's really have to communicate and get them on the same page as you. So like what Mike said, we really have to show them why it works, and here's why it doesn't work. And if you can videotape those two shots, put them together, they all say the same thing. Well, I want to throw it like that one every time. What do I have to do next? Exactly. But I think you really have to get to where they trust you before they'll do what you ask. I think we spent the first 30 minutes of every lesson you know, explaining, you know, they got to figure out that we know what we're doing because they're going to question you, especially the guys that are always a little bit older than me, even though I'm pretty damn old already. There's always that guys that one generation older, they like to question everything you do. So your job is to explain that you know what you're doing. And here are the small changes you can make to take care of those giant issues in your head. Or they always say the same thing. Wow, I'm not as bad as I thought. Because somebody else has told them how bad they are over and over and over. They're really not. If you're averaging 200, you can't be that bad. You really can't. I mean, it's a clean game with a double. I mean, a three-bagger with an open. You're not bowling bad if you average 200. You can't do everything wrong. So you got to simplify that form a little bit. But, Mike, yeah. a lot of things Mike said, I agree 100%. Yeah, it's, it's really – We have a little bit of an advantage. Uh, we have video. People can't argue with video. It, they can't say I didn't do that. And if you have stats like Conspecto or the old CAT system, they can't argue with stats. So we have a lot of good ammunition. So when they when they try to argue, we, we have something to back it up pretty quickly. So I don't know about you, Bates, but for me, I don't get a lot of people fighting with me because they really can't if you show it to them the right way. True. Yeah, I think. No, I, I mean, yeah, it's not. I, I don't find that too much. I mean, I, I know this is going to sound crazy. When I raised my rates, when I got up to 100 an hour, the arguing went away. At 60 an hour, I argued a lot. I think people would pay a lot of money to argue. People would pay that much to, to question everything you did. Once I got my prices up and my business didn't get any, you know, I got busier, 
then the people taking lesson are really there to get better. Correct. So I enjoy it. I mean, it's very rarely do I have a very, maybe once every six months to a year, you have that person. You just don't get along. You just don't mesh. Right. Other than that, people are, people are pretty easy to work with actually. When I have that one person, I always suggest a follow up with Mark Baker. Appreciate that. <laughs> I, I tend to, I tend to get them too. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, this is great, guys. We're running a little low on time here. Bakes, one of the things I knew about you, or one of the ways I heard about you first, was through Camp Bakes. Um, tell us a little bit about quick the Cliff Notes version of what Camp Bakes is and where people can sign up for that and uh, take part in that amazing event. I do Camp Bakes twice. Well, normally I do Camp Bakes twice a year, once in the spring, usually in May, and once in October. It's held at uh, the Strike Zone in Henderson, Nevada. Uh, the limit is 36 people. I have a very, uh, it's a three and a half day camp. Uh, the coaches are Doug Kent, Dave Husted, Robin Romeo, Barry Asher, Joe Hutchison, and Steve Jacobs. You get three 900 global balls. Uh, you get eight meals, two shirts, and it's a three and a half day bowling camp. And it's, uh, I think we're coming up. So I rescheduled the ones in May, obviously had to get canceled. So I have two coming in October, one sold out. One has 33, but we don't know. I mean, that number might change when people have to actually fly or try to get there. We don't know what's going to happen in October, but it's a twice a year thing. 36 people. Like I said, my new website will come up. I've got all kinds of frequently asked questions on there. It'll explain it pretty well, but it's our 34th camp. It's our 15th or 16th year doing it. I got a great group of coaches. It goes really well. The amount of repeat people is astounding how people come back. We have a great time. I will say this. The most common comment I get from people on their survey is, I didn't know there were 30, 35 other bowlers that liked bowling as much as me. So the group is very into the game of bowling. We have a great time, and people do get a lot better. As you can see on the updated honor roll list, you will see all the Camp Bake alumnus, 300s, 800s winning tournaments. Wow, great. Well, yeah, make sure make sure you check that out. Make sure you go and find, if you go bowl, the Open Championships, if you go bowl, a big event, and Mike Jasnow is there, and you don't go reach out to Mike Jasnow to improve your bowling then I, I don't I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I just don't. Mike, remind everybody again, what date will you be available uh, starting uh, for, for lessons out? I Well, Nationals will be in yeah. Reno at the stadium. And, I, of course, I'll be at Coconut Bowl and Sparks. But the, uh, Nationals runs from September 12th through uh, November 21st. So I'll probably start around September 10th or so and be there through November 21st. In the meantime, I am home in Utah doing lessons. I do online lessons also. Um, I do an annual trip up to Alaska uh, for a few weeks, uh, usually from mid-August into early September. I haven't booked that yet because I don't know what's going on. So it's kind of hard for me to book these bigger events because we don't know what's going to be going on, you know. Uh, but hopefully I'll still be able to maintain that trip. I can sneak that in right before nationals. Um, Usually in the fall, I do a big, big trip up, up in the Northwest, Montana, Idaho, Washington, Oregon. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Uh, it depends on the travel restrictions. And hopefully one day, too, I'll, I'll be in, allowed to be in Camp Bakes. I know we had talked about that a couple times, Bakes, where one time you call me and say, hey, somebody can't do it. Can you do it? I was like, oh, shit, I can't do it. I'm busy. Right. The time, I was like, hey, I'm available. I was like, well, I don't need you. <laughs> yeah, we we tried to make it work a couple times, and the spring is yeah. tough for you because nationals you're so busy. Yeah. And then yeah, that was uh, yeah. I'm sure one day we'll make it all work. Yeah, that'd be great. 
Great, guys. Well, uh, we'll take a 10% VIG for when that happens and you guys link up and you sell out <laughs> you the, the camp bakes that year. want well, to thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. It's always a blast talking to you guys and learning more about the game of bowling. Thanks, thank guys. you, Matthew. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for our show here today. Uh, a good one. These two guys, I want to have them on together because every coach has a dif different philosophy the way that they do things, but they all together do the same thing, which is help people bowl better. And uh, those are two guys I have personal relationships with that have touched or moved me. I also didn't have the opportunity to talk about my lesson with, with Mike Jazz now as uh, things were just flowing here today. But one thing that I learned in my lesson with Mike is I always thought I need to uh, scoot up a little bit closer on the approach. And because of the, where the dots are on the approach, you either at the back dots or the front dots. Well, my, Mike, and, and look, I know bowling, right? And this was so obvious. I, I was, I was, I was too, uh, I was too, I was using the front dots because I didn't want to use the back dots because I would run. And he's like, oh, just split the difference. Go somewhere in between. So I like, why, why was I so set on using these dots? You know, like, and then, we, you know, so that was one thing that we fixed with, with mine. I still have the DVD. I reviewed it last night and, he likes to compare you against other styles too. He had me compared against David Ozio, which uh, maybe yeah, maybe that's a little bit strategic there to try to make these people feel real good. Because I'm sure when he said, "Yeah, Mike, you know you remind me of David Ozio," you were like, "Oh yeah, baby, greatest oh. lesson ever." Greatest yeah, lesson yeah. Ever. All I gotta do is get myself here to here, loosen up the arm swing, get a better slide. Yeah, I put Ozio on the back of my shirt, and I'm out here, man. Fuller hair, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's cool. Um, yeah. Two great coaches. I've, I've gotten to spend some time with both of them. Actually, I made the cut at the World Series at one of the events a couple of years ago. Jazz let me practice on uh, the lane and uh, in the pro shop there at the National Bowling Stadium. And just I was really grateful for that. I worked with Bakes with Team USA a couple of years ago, um, and that was a great experience. And I think, like you said, Mike, the thing that's really interesting to me is that regardless of the models that they use for their businesses, which are both successful models, it all comes down to the same principles of coaching and the things that they look at and the things that they find in their lessons are the same, regardless of how they go about them. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, we're out of time today. I want to thank everybody for watching the show today. If you got anything from it, uh, send us an email, media at insidebowling.com. You can head over to insidebowling.com and save 15% off merch with coupon code IBSHOW. Tomorrow, we're going to have the uh, CEO of Kegel, Chris Chartrand, on. He sent me a care package, and we're going to open that tomorrow on the air and we're looking forward to having Chris on the show. We will be one hour earlier again tomorrow as we have been on Fridays with Chris. Uh, so until then uh, everybody stay safe out there. Have a wonderful Thursday and we'll see you tomorrow on the program. See ya.